Welcome to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Caravans, campervans, motorhomes and more. It's the place to get hints, tips and impartial advice from the expert himself, Matt Sims. Brought to you by ThatLeisureShop.com. Join us on the journey with Motorhome Matt. Welcome to the Motorhome Matt podcast. I'm Keith Gooden. And I'm Motorhome Matt. We're here every week to update you on audio and video about motorhomes, hiring them, buying them, selling them and fixing them. <laughs> wow. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully some of it's useful. If you're a new listener or a watcher, where have you been for the last 18 months? We've been here waiting for you to turn up. <laughs> Sitting here quietly in the corner. We have. And if you uh, were with us from the start, well done. You're a trendsetter. You know, setter. we've got people who have listened to every episode. I should hope so. <laughs> Thank you very much. OK, let's get on with it. Let's delve into the news, shall we, today. Um, the Bath & West Show, you're there, aren't you? The Royal Bath & West Show. We will be there, yes. We are supplying the organisers with motorhomes uh, from our hire fleet to live in, join the show. Uh, and the shop team will be there as well. Um, so thatleisureshop.com are taking a stand. And we will have a whole load of product on display for sale. So lovely chairs, tables, kayaks, paddle boards, loads of camping accessories. So if you're going to the show, it's at the Shepton Mallet Showground, then come and say hi. Will some of your hire team be there? Yes, they will. Yeah, some of them will be there with a couple of motems for hire, uh, just as a sample uh, of what you could go on holiday in this summer or next year. We're starting to take bookings for next year now as well. So go along to the show. It's fantastic. Three-day show, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Doesn't run on the Sunday because all the farmers are busy milking. Come visit us in the southwest, Royal Bath and West Show. It'll be great. And don't forget, on the Friday afternoon as you're travelling down, uh, all the uh, farmers like to take their tractors out for about 4pm in the afternoon. (laughs) When you see a farmer cutting the hedges, you know he's bored. (laughs) Got nothing else to do. Uh, And also, uh, not just the Bath & West show where you've got some of your fleet... You're in show business now with the new uh, series of The Outlaws, which has been very popular. It has been, yeah. Stephen Merchant, it was, I loved it. Some people hated it, I think it's fair to say, uh, but I really enjoyed series one and two. And yes, once again, they're filming in Bristol and we've got a number of motems being supplied to the crew and the cast as green rooms, so a place they can sit and rest and read the script, learn their lines. Uh, and that's happening all across the city. A bit wider field as well, so it's interesting to see where they're filming this year. It's going to be good. Stephen Merchant, was he 6'7", six, 6'8"? Six, At least, yeah. yeah. Have you got a special big-doored motorhome for him? <laughs> it's a very tall one. Um, yeah, I can tell you that he wheezed in the toilet while standing in the shower. The Motorhome Map podcast is brought to you with thatleisureshop.com. Uh, let's get into the main bit of the podcast. Breakdown, recovery, letdowns, and this is a big subject for Motorhome Matt. It's been very close to home this last week. If you've been following us on any social channel, you would have seen me looking frightened in the dark as I sat in a broken-down car and waited for the RAC to come out and rescue me. Uh, I was in a little Alfa Romeo, there's a clue, which unfortunately did break down. Uh, And 15 and a half hours later, a man in bright orange did arrive. How many hours later? Fifteen and a half. Fifteen and a half hours. Not a great experience, I have to say. In fact, it was pretty appalling. Yeah, sat on the side of the road. Not all night, I have to say. I'll tell you what happened. After about six hours, I called the police on the advice of the RAC. I was on a busy A road, 60 mile hour limit. It's very fast on the Mendip, so very, very dark. 
my alternator had failed, so the battery had run flat, so I'd lost all lights on the car. I had no hazard lights. It was pitch black, very cold, uh, and I said to the IC, I actually feel frightened sat here because someone is going to come round the bend behind me and not see me, rear-end me. There was nowhere I could retreat to, short of climbing through a hedge and into a field. I mean, that just really wasn't practical. On the advice of the RIC, I was told, call 999. I was like, really? 999? They said, no, if you feel vulnerable, you should. So I was like, well, okay. And I, I felt a fraud to do it. And I said to the telephone operator, look, tell me to hang up if this is inappropriate. I feel fake doing this. And they were, bless them, whoever took the call was superb. They said, no, 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 Matt, it's fine. You've done the right thing. We will send a patrol to you. And sure enough, within 15 minutes, blue lights behind me, uh, two guys got out and said, no, you've absolutely done the right thing. You are in a dangerous position. Uh, We would consider that your life could be at risk. So with their help, we closed the road. We pushed the car across the carriageway that was opposite uh, and into a lay-by. And then they took me home in the back of their police van. And that was an experience. <laughs> Did they indeed? I've seen people like you on the television yeah. on Channel 5. <laughs> I took a picture. I wasn't actually in the back, in the cage. No. There's a seat for a police officer to sit. And I was there. Uh, and they very kindly dropped me. It was only 45 minutes to get home. Uh, they took me home. It's about one in the morning by this point. I then spoke to the RAC and said, Look, I'm no longer with the car. They'd appointed a contractor and said, well, they will ring you in the next three hours to pick the car up. Can you get back to it? I said, yeah, I've got another car here. I can get back to it. Do that. And the contractor didn't call me until quarter past seven. So I spent the night barely sleeping. It was about two before I got to sleep and just, you know, caught the other thing when you think the phone's going to ring any second. So I really didn't sleep well. Uh, Drove back to the car. And by this point, I was told that a patrolman was going to attend it. And he duly did. Uh, And he did relay us back to the office where we could get the car fixed. Now, we do have to say uh, that the breakdown rescue services do prioritise certain customers. For instance, uh, people with children, women on their own. So you might just have been a bit unlucky that night. I think so. Yeah, someone did comment that it was an Alfa Romeo. You should have called them before you set off. Yes, we have some comments here. You should have called the RAC before you set off. Uh, in, in the RAC's defence, they had 27 other Alfa Romeos <laughs> to deal with that night. <laughs> that could be true. Jay uh, got in touch uh, with us. He He's a patrolman for a rescue service. He says no one shares their good experiences. Most of our time is taken up by changing headlight bulbs at 3 p.m., the filter for breakdown, he says, is flawed. Yeah, it's a valid point, isn't it? I guess that could be true. I mean, the RAC have since rung me. In fact, just minutes before we started recording this, a lovely lady called Emily from the RAC customer complaints team had rung me and she acknowledged that it was absolutely below par, that the service was poor, uh, in fact, beyond poor. And she was full of apologies for the service they they'd given me in fact they have offered me some financial compensation as well prior to this phone call (laughs) i should point out ask them to comment because we approached all of the breakdown services for comment on this and so they did know that we have a podcast and they had i believe seen some of the content on social media they offered me a hundred pound compensation which is over half my membership fee and an apology and and to be honest i'm happy with that i accepted it Uh, And I've this morning emailed them my bank details. So we'll see when that gets paid. Uh, But they did decline to give any comment from their press team whatsoever, which I think is a real shame. 
And did you get any responses from uh, anybody else? We had a great response from the AA. Yeah, I've got that here. Uh, They say we attend an average of 10,000 breakdowns per day. We do get hundreds more pothole-related breakdowns following rain, as often drivers can't spot the potholes underneath the puddles. The pothole fills up with water. Um, We believe the number of breakdowns is likely to increase, say the AA, as the average age of car on the road has increased due to the cost of living crisis and also people uh, waiting for electric vehicles to turn up. So they're they're sort of stringing out the ownership of the vehicle that they intend to trade in. They also say that many of the breakdowns we attend are caused by problems which could be solved with routine maintenance. We do, though, fix more than 80% of problems at the roadside, which is what customers want. Yeah, well, that's fair, isn't it? Thank you, the AA. We appreciate you, Tony. Uh, For Anne Edmund, who I messaged, who is, of course, the president of the AA, uh, and he referred it to their PR team, and they very kindly came back with these comments. We did ask Green Flag to comment as well. They declined and said they were in a closed period, whatever that means. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. The AA no did actually give us uh, quite a lot of comment, including when you asked what's the biggest challenge your organisation is facing at this time, because I should imagine their challenges at the AA are common to the other breakdown services. Uh, they, they say there are skill shortages across the motoring industry, which does have a knock-on effect on patrol recruitment. They're saying they're working with colleges in our busiest workload areas on a project that could see newly qualified college leavers step into mentored entry-level patrol roles. So they're looking Mm. to recruit people out of college, younger generation, uh, to help to uh, fill their staffing issues. But we do have to say uh, that thanks for the response to the AA, uh, nonetheless, they should have foreseen whether they have got enough staff or not. Yeah, it was interesting. Since this episode, I have stopped and spoken to a number of RAC patrolmen who I've bumped into. I saw one parked in a lay-by and I pulled in and said, would you speak to me? Uh, He reckoned that 25% of their workforce had left. I don't know if that's true, but that was his comment. And another patrolman that was recovering a car to a local garage, I asked the customer, how long have you waited? Six and a half hours. He said, but it was fine. The car was at home. I was working from home. So he was not unhappy with that. I still thought that was a long time to get the car recovered. The patrolman said he could earn more working in a garage than he could doing a patrolman job where his life is at risk you know he's on the side of a smart motorway or you know on a busy busy road and you know, he could get run over no chance of that in a garage is there yeah i did mention the fact that they do have priority lists when you call in uh, for instance if you're a woman uh, on your own or you have children in the car or perhaps you're di- disabled but i would have thought you would have been fairly high up because as you said when we started this conversation that you were on an unlit uh, country road, even though yep. it, was an, it was an A road, wasn't it? It was an A road, yeah. yeah. Unlit, an unlit A road. Um, and per capita, the amount of accidents uh, on country roads compared to urban roads is much higher. Yes. Yeah, even though there are fewer accidents per capita, if you compare them with the amount of people that use them, uh, then actually the risk on country roads is a lot higher. So I would have thought that would have put you up the list a bit. It did. And Emily acknowledged that from the customer complaints team. She said, yeah, we noted that you were in a vulnerable position and you were a priority call and we didn't do anything about that. So they did acknowledge that. 
Yeah, we've also asked Caravan Guard, you might recall from a few podcasts ago, the insurance company, uh, what their biggest challenge their organisation is uh, facing at, at this time in regard to this. And they've said, we have heard stories of people who have been sent the wrong recovery vehicle for the size of their campervan or large motorhome. Mm. But otherwise, they don't see much of a problem with it. No, and the the membership I've got, the membership level I have with the RAC is called RAC Arrival. So it's a very specific product designed and aimed at motorhome caravan owners. So lots of motorhomes are over seven metres, which I think is the kind of length cap that the AA will recover. Uh, but the RAC, they raise that limit. As far as I know, it's unlimited. I know once I've, I've spoken about it before, I was in a 10 metre long American motorhome and the RAC did recover that back to Bristol from Lincolnshire. So it was a long relay through the night uh, and it's specialist equipment. Um, and I know that the RAC will send a contractor out to recover you in a me- in a motorhome that's long over the seven metres as part of this cover. So it probably cost me a little bit more, but that recovery with the American RV would have cost them over probably over £2,000 uh, to get me from all the way in Lincolnshire back home and get that recovery vehicle back north. We have had uh, a listener, a viewer to the podcast, get in touch uh, with us uh, with something very interesting. She worked in a call centre for one of these companies. I actually used to work for a large breakdown company and I started off in the services. So anybody who had broken down would ring in and, you know, we'd help them out. But then I was very quickly moved to the sales department to sell new policies, upgrade policies, um, you know, add things on and stuff because there was such a high turnover of customers because the service was so poor. And I think it did come across like it was more about the money coming in. An example of that is we used to actually take the phone calls and I believe that they were paid to take the phone calls by children in need and we were actually told that we need people we were actually offered double time to go and take the calls for the children in need um, donations rather than sort of servicing our own customers it wasn't the most enjoyable place to work I gotta say but I just thought I'd sort of chip in and and give my own experience because I've been on the the end of the phone when we've had people calling in and complaining a lot of times I don't work there now and I won't go back to working there personally. No, we haven't asked the rescue service in question about those comments, but we will put it to them. But Matt, it's not unreasonable if you've got a call centre to generate extra revenue by renting out some of your operatives to take calls for a customer. But she says that actually the rescue service customers were compromised. Yeah, that's not good listening, is it? That's not good at all. Thank you for the message. We appreciate it. And obviously, we don't have any evidence to back this up. Uh, Just this caller's comments. If you're that breakdown service and you want to comment, we would welcome it, obviously. But yeah, that's not good, is it? Not good listening at all. It's the Motorhome Matt podcast with me, Keith Gooden. And me, Motorhome Matt. It's brought to you with that leisureshop.com. We're talking today about breakdown and recovery and some of the horror stories, such as Matt's 15 and a half hour wait just a few weeks ago. Now, let's talk about the company that uh, Matt was uh, signed up to, the RAC. They say they're 60 minutes to help in the contract. Uh, what if they don't do this? What rights do us as com- consumers have? 
Yeah, it's interesting. So the breakdown services from our research are all regulated by the financial ombudsman, and I guess it's because they're selling an insurance policy. Uh, but what seems to be regulated is the way they conduct themselves in terms of a complaint, your renewal, payment of that renewal. So if your if your policy auto renews without your permission, and you can see everything that's regulated on the on the FCA financial ombudsman's website. What doesn't appear to be regulated by them is that is the service level and response time. So my experience, 15 and a half hours, generated a complaint. Their response and how they deal with that complaint is what's regulated. And I have to say that arguably they've been brilliant. So their response time to me has been really quick. Uh, so I broke down a week ago and I've had a, a financial compensation offer today. Uh, which I accepted and I'm very happy with, as I say. So, you know, that bit, they're on, probably because it's regulated. Uh, and, and if they breach that, then you have some recourse with the ombudsman. But it would seem to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the actual service that I'm paying for isn't regulated by anybody. Not even the Consumer Act? Seemingly not. I don't know. Maybe it is. And if you're listening, if you're at a breakdown service, please, would you comment? Because we would love to know. I would add, though, Keith, when we were in Harrogate, do you remember we talked about the fact we put a motorhome outside the entrance to the motorhome show? That one broke down as well, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, don't travel with me. Uh, it, the battery failed on it. It wouldn't start. Well, it was less than an hour, pretty much, and it was fixed. But that's the thing, isn't it? We're talking about Apache service. I mean, your 15 and a half hour wait uh, does seem uh, pretty unreasonable. And uh, the breakdown uh, company has put their hands up uh, to that one. But yeah. uh, And now you're saying when you're up in Harrogate, it was just an hour. Well, within 20 minutes, a chap was on the phone, Mark, I remember. He was there within 15 minutes. He then went off and bought us a new battery. It was a very reasonably priced starter battery. We sell them in the shop, and I think it was £160 or something, which is not a lot more than you can buy one for from a, from a motor factor shop. And it was brilliant. In fact, the RAC asked us who was the patrolman, what was the reds, because they wanted to congratulate him, and they shared our social posts on that occasion. Um, oddly, not this one. <laughs> yeah, but it shows the difficulties that these companies do have. It depends where you break down and what the staffing is like yeah. on the night, and it's a bit of a lottery. And to be honest with you, when you're dealing uh, with a large company such as that, these things are going to happen occasionally. Yeah, of course they are. It's people, isn't it? And it depends what happens on the night. You know, I was told there'd been a, a very busy night. I mean, 10,000 calls a day the AA deal with that's a lot that's a huge amount and when you think many of them as they said there when uh, with the AA when uh, I was reading out those responses to our press inquiries they were saying a lot of them can be solved just by basic maintenance yeah. or you know check your tyres you know run your fingers in the tread of the tyre and you feel those little dimples in the tread those are the markers and if when you run your finger through the, 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 the tread and you come across a marker it's level with the rest of the wheel you need to change your tyre yeah, and it's this, right. these levels of basic maintenance that this breakdown company the AA say you know are the cause of most of their call outs yeah, sure. so we have to share some responsibility and you were driving an Italian car <laughs> yeah, but oddly it had been repaired it had been, it'd been to London to a specialist to have the electric roof repaired and an MOT the thing that went wrong was nothing to do with the repairs and someone did comment I'd be on the phone to the garage yeah. that fixed it well this was totally unrelated you know the alternator happened to fail it's an old car did it rain by the way yeah, it, did, yeah. it did well you were lucky after 15 and a half hours it wasn't just a puddle of rust 
<laughs> yeah, it's a great little car. One day it'd be worth some money. You're not a real petrol head unless you've owned an Alpha. No, that, I, no I can tell I own two. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back and get serious about this. Should the levels of customer services from these breakdown companies be regulated? As yeah. you say, financial uh, services, uh, the part of the contract is regulated. Uh, but the level of customer care doesn't appear to be regulated. There's clearly small print in the contract which says if they don't get to you, you've got little recourse apart from to complain to their customer service. Should we take a step up? Should there be uh, a proper a regulatory, a regulatory body such as a, an Ofcom or an Ofwat who do have statutory powers to fine these companies if they're not meeting basic levels of service but what would the impact of that be i mean you know for the rac if they are short-staffed we don't know that they are i suspect that might be one of the factors that was at play here in our region hence this uh long call out time uh but you know that that would might force them to to get creative like the aa evidently are with their university scheme oh, it's a great idea it would just mean the premiums go up surely if they've got to employ more people or pay staff more to keep them if it's true that patrolmen are thinking you know what i can go and earn the same or more working in a garage uh, i don't want to do this patrol job anymore it's, it's a tough job isn't it it's a tough gig then surely the premiums will go up won't that be a side effect of regulation it would be a premiums probably would go up but the level of service would go up what would you rather have something you can depend on um, and pay a bit more for it or something uh, which provides the service that you had on that occasion and we have to balance that by saying on another occasion they were superb but on that occasion uh, would you have spent an extra hundred pounds a year knowing that you could get a premium service yeah maybe maybe i would i would need to think about that yeah. oh, and the other option for me is i don't have any breakdown cover and i just call out a recovery company like the rac were going to do with me they didn't in the end and we have friends who own one uh, and i could have called them and they would have brought the car to the garage which is where it is now uh, you know waiting repair and that would probably have cost me probably less than my annual premium but i would pay that every time but people, that's what people are afraid of, because these breakdown services were set up originally in response to people many years ago who were recovering vehicles and overcharging. Again, there's that balance there, isn't there? There are these recovery services. They promote themselves as experts. Usually their customer service is pretty good when you're in trouble. They do prioritise vulnerable uh, customers, but they take away that doubt of saying to somebody, can you come and tell me? And they say, yeah, that'd be 600 quid. Yeah, that's the risk, isn't it? I'd love to know what your experience has been if you're listening or watching this. Um, what's your breakdown experience been in this country and in Europe as well? I mean, that's a whole other layer of concern for me. But as, a, as the owner of a motorhome hire business, at the moment, we're doing very, very little European destination hire. So if you want to hire and go to France, generally we would say no. We're reconsidering that at the moment. But the, the only reason we're doing that is because of our concern about breakdown response times and the ability to get a family recovered to another motorhome, to a hotel, or even back home. And that worries me. Okay, let's uh, wrap this up now with some advice from you, Matt. Preparing for a breakdown. According to the AA, most of their call-outs are due to things that actually uh, are just normal, regular maintenance that you should be doing, uh, like tyres and oils and stuff like that. Uh, running out of fuel is another one, which incidentally, there's a change to the highway code coming. If you run out of fuel, uh, you could be liable for a £1,000 fine in future. 
Really? From yes. who? Yes, uh, from the police. So if, you, if you're on the motorway and you're low on fuel um, and there's a rumour that coming in the next highway code update that if you run out of fuel and it's avoidable, a £1,000 fine. And frankly, I agree with that one. It's different wow. if you've got a hole in the petrol tank. We're talking about people who just didn't fill up. Right. Wow, OK. I didn't know that. One to watch. What happens if the service station's got no fuel? Well, precisely. I mean, you know, clearly somebody has to make a uh, a considered decision about it. But um, you know, if there's a petrol station two miles down the road and you've driven past it and run out of fuel because you you don't have a method of payment, then clearly, you know, that causes a lot of issues, not just for breakdown services, but other road users as well. well. I know if you run out of fuel, the RAC will make a charge before they even turn up. Because yeah. they have to take your old fuel away, or if you miss fuel, this is, yeah. sorry. Um, <clears throat> so if you put diesel in a petrol car, they will, that's different, I know. Yeah, but it is different, yeah. They will charge you, you know, I think it's 250 quid before they even yeah. start. Another quick one uh, before we move on on this. I was um, driving up to the Belfry uh, last weekend and up the M5 around Cheltenham area. And uh, we must have just got past this accident, literally as it happened. A very large lorry with Harris fencing or whatever, that, that metal fencing. Harris, yeah. Har- is it Harris fencing? Uh, ha- had uh, a flatbed with that uh, piled up onto it. Clearly it had shifted and the lorry had gone off the motorway onto the hard shoulder, hit some trees which were over hanging because it was a tall load and lost one of their rear wheels and come to a stop and first thing that I saw as I went past was some debris in the road which slowed people down and people coming around it uh, and that this poor lorry and the people getting out of the lorry but also the RAC van was coming up to help even though probably not one of their customers but he was there pulling over to help in the event of an accident so I must say that Good for them. Yeah. Well, they've got equipment to do it, haven't they? Lights and a bright van, and yeah. people see that orange van or the yellow AA van, whoever, whichever breakdown cover, and they, they you're alerted to it, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, some of your tips then for preparing for a possible breakdown. So you're yeah. setting out on your journey. You're in your motorhome. You're <clears> in your caravan or whatever. What should we be doing? What should we be checking? What are the, the, the useful little widgets that you flog that might be, <laughs> that might be good for people at thatleisureshop.com? <laughs> well, some of them we do flog, that's true. On that particular incident, when I broke down, I didn't have any of this stuff, it's worth saying. I'd gone to London on the train and brought an, an empty car back, but a high-vis would have been very much appreciated i'd recommend having those in the car that's of course a requirement on the continent it's not here a very sensible addition to have i got really cold so blanket and then some outer garments it was amazing how cold and windy it got i was in a t-shirt and a kind of sports jacket a work jacket you know outside when i was with the police it was i was shivering so gloves hat and maybe a better coat or jumper and this is the beginning of may we're talking about. yeah that's right yeah it did get i was in i was on the mendip so it was pretty exposed we sell a v16 beacon so we've talked before about the warning triangle uh, my alpha didn't have a warning triangle i did look in the boot for one it doesn't it does now in fact it has one of these beacons so in spain the warning triangle is going to be discontinued and these Little orange beacons are replacing them. They're a, they're a legal alternative now to a warning triangle. Lots of reports of people being injured or worse putting out the warning triangle, let alone 
you know, people not seeing it. Uh, and so these beacons, you don't have to get out of the car. You just lean out in a car. This would work. You place it on the roof and it turns on. There's a magnetic switch and it starts. It's a white torch or a flashing orange beacon. The V16 bit means they can be seen from a kilometre away. They are incredibly bright. I'm giving them to all the family that drive and asking them to put one in the boot or the glove box. Uh, on a modem, of course, it's plastic, so there's nowhere to, to stick it you know, that would take the magnet, but put it on the floor behind. That would have been a really, really good investment, 20-odd quid in the shop. We've had a load delivered from Spain. And you mentioned them, and we've discussed this in a past podcast, but uh, if you uh, have a breakdown and uh, it's battery-related or, or, or electrical-related, you can't put your hazards on. So these little yeah. uh, widgets, these are <clears throat> a fantastic idea. Well, that was my problem. My hazard lights were just going click, click, you know, slower and slower yeah. and dimmer, and, and eventually they stopped working altogether, yeah. and that's where a beacon would have been ideal. And equally, my phone was going flat. Yeah, you know, I kept phoning the RAC. I was in a poor network connection, so the little iPhone's working flat out trying to keep a connection. So a phone charger would have been really useful. I was fortunate I had my MacBook with me, so I could plug the phone into that to keep it charged. But a little portable power pack, we sell a Maypole one, um, they will actually jumpstart a car. They're that clever. Um, that would be really useful. And some really obvious stuff like a bottle of water, something to drink, and maybe a bar of chocolate or a flapjack or something, just to keep sugar levels up. Uh, you've got to concentrate on what's happening uh, yep. around you, uh, even though you're not going anywhere. And remember, you know, if your hazards have gone and, and you're sitting there on an A-road uh, like uh, Matt was and uh, you can't have your hazards on um, and it's dangerous to place the uh, warning triangle because you've tried and people are coming up that road at 60 miles an hour. Remember, on country roads, you don't have a hard shoulder and there's usually stinging nettles on both sides. If you can't make yourself obvious, the people coming down the road don't don't know that you've broken down they're doing 60 miles an hour they're doing everything right and then a tragedy happens yeah that's right and on this particular road i know there are people traveling at three figures 100 plus well they shouldn't be should they there's often accidents on this particular road where you know youngsters are driving at a hell of a speed and um, they get it wrong and that's the thing is what do you do when you break down is well get out of the car if you can i couldn't as you say there was just hedgerows and just you know big drop into a field there yeah, wasn't really there's anywhere there's for me to go yeah. There's a ditch for drainage by the side of the it, road. There was on this particular yeah. road. And I'm, it was cold as well. And I just thought, no, I want to stay warm. I, I, am, I took the decision to stay in the car. Which and probably wasn't the best advice. No, probably not. But... And, and it was when the hazards went completely that I rang the RAC and said, look, it's been nearly six hours. I yeah. need an update. And that's when I called now, 999. imagine if you're a woman on your own. Yeah. You had kids in the back. And now, you, before we started recording this, Matt mentioned that, well, people just lie. They just ring up and say, I'm pregnant or, you know, uh, my wife is having a heart attack or the kids, you know, have they got kids medication. In the car. Yeah. Don't lie. Because if everybody lies, the people who really need help aren't going to get the help. And it could be you. That's true. Yeah. It, had I lied, would I have received a quicker response? Maybe. Probably, but don't do it. No, really, don't. don't do it. I mean, what if you lie and somebody is killed or abducted or a child runs into the road and is severely injured? You do care about that. Everybody cares about that. Of course, that. yeah. Don't, and I, I was in a vulnerable situation and still, you know, that was a level of service I got. So maybe lying wouldn't have made any difference in my circumstance. But I would say if you can get out of the car and get to safety, then you should. This brings back Edmund King's comments in, in the conversation I had with him, the, the, the chap who's president of the AA, about smart motorways. 
Yeah, and I was sat there thinking, gosh, if this was on a smart motorway, you know, I would rely on the red X turning on and someone acknowledging it and getting out the carriageway. You know, and that's even faster road. You would, but you do have the option of getting over the barrier and Pro- at least saving your life. And we mentioned this before. Provided there is one. I mean, there's big, the M4 has just become a big smart motorway going past Reading, and there are big lengths of it where, yes, there's a barrier, and it's a foot, 18 inches behind the barrier, and there's a big wall. So you're not really protected, are you, behind that barrier? We were driving up there the other day to uh, Campervan Campites, and we were discussing it as we were driving, saying, look how little space there is to, to find safety. You know, a, a car hitting that or a lorry hitting that, elements of that vehicle are going to bounce over into that void. And well, I'll tell you a, a story, a tragic story, actually. A friend of mine, a guy called Gus Dudgeon, who's a, a record producer, uh, he was travelling back uh, from London to the Reading area with his wife after a party. Must be said over the limit um, and came off the road in a convertible uh, so it's soft top and went over the barrier turned over and ended up in not a ditch but a culvert mm-hmm. which carried water away which happened to be full they both drowned mm. so you know you can't guard against every accident but when you're on no. the motorway get over that fence doesn't matter about the car it just matters about you and the family no and the reason that wall was there is because there was a huge drop because you know, we looked at it and thought, why is the wall there? That's ridiculous. Well, it was just the way the landscape was, where they'd extended the motorway up to the edge. You know, but it just made me think, gosh, there's no space to actually hide away here. And you know, those refuge points are a long way apart, aren't they, on yep. the smart motorway? And also, coming into summer now, heading up towards the longest day as we record this, um, don't be fooled by, by uh, the fact that it's, it's brighter uh, for later. Accidents can still happen. You, you're still at risk, even though it's not dark. So yeah. your list there, that's a good uh, list. Have high fears. Now, I went to France. <laughs> I've been talking about it for ages. Did you? For a few days, I did. And they insist on a little kit that you've got to bring with you. And it, it is, you know, a, little, a spare bulb kit, uh, which you can buy for a few pounds. High-vis for every passenger in the car. So if you've got a five-seater, five high-vis. Everyone that can walk. Ev- yeah. yeah. Also, uh, the triangle you talked yeah. about. First aid kit, mm-hmm. just in case you've had a bump and somebody you know needs a plaster or some painkillers. Uh, but also, interestingly, and I think this would be good for over here, a little bit off subject, um, a portable alcohol testing kit. See if you're over the limit. Yeah, but that's not a legal requirement anymore. No. It was a law introduced by the French, promptly ignored, and now... Yeah, but di- I bought them and I thought, this is a good idea. Because well, if you're at a party or whatever, you know, just take it over the limit. I know it's a little bit off subject, but I thought that was a good they idea. They are a good idea, but yeah, that's a that's a contentious one. We'd all be self-regulating our alcohol intake, wouldn't we? Yeah. Basically, if you're driving, don't drink. Simple. It's as simple as that. And I never do. And I never do. Uh, so uh, Paul Gleave is in Wells. He says, Matt, this is truly shocking, your experience. I can't understand how it could possibly take that long to get to you. I insure my van with comfort insurance and opt into the recovery service offered by them. Had to use them three times for breakdowns. And every time the AA have been with me within the hour. Doesn't specify that it will be the AA in the insurance documents, but they must be the preferred provider. Can't fault their service. Always been excellent. I, I must quickly say, just to balance that, I, I was thrown out the AA. I had a Skoda Superb, and uh, when the headlights go on the old versions of that, you had to take out half the air conditioning ducting. So I had to call them every time after three times. They sent me a letter saying, we really don't want you to be a member of this organisation anymore. So, so uh, thanks for your comments there. It's always struck me as an odd name for a car, a Skoda Superb. <laughs> Very good car. <laughs> A very good car. 
Um, Heated windscreens. Keep your hands warm when you're pushing it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Motorhome Matt podcast with me, Keith Gooden, and Motorhome Matt. You've been getting in touch on this subject. Mick Collier is in Barnstable. Hi, Matt. Regarding your troubles, which breakdown service would you advise, especially as I'm disabled and a blue badge holder? I mentioned Mm -hmm. this briefly earlier on, but what's your your advice? I suppose he's asking you which one to sign up to, and that's not really our thing. We shouldn't really be doing that, should we? No, and, and, and also, I suppose... I mean, you're a blue badge holder, Keith. I am indeed, yeah. But does that have any bearing for you on a breakdown service? I'm a blue badge holder because I was born with two club feet due to my mum taking a drug called thalidomide, uh, which affects the how fast and how far I can walk. And I have a blue badge for that. However, if I broke down... I wouldn't necessarily say I was disabled because I'd be sitting in my car waiting for yeah. the breakdown service to arrive. So I, I think there's light and shade here. Just because you have a blue badge doesn't mean to say your disability precludes you from waiting in a queue. No, and I guess it depends what the disability is and the reason for the blue badge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, people might need to take uh, uh, medicines, for instance, at specific times, and yeah. their medicines are at home, and they're stuck on, on a road. Yeah. It might be that you have somebody with bladder or bowel problems who which are, are difficult problems and issues uh, and 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 have mitigations which which need to be seen to every yeah. few hours so there's lots of different reasons but for me as a blue badge holder it's to do with mobility and uh, actually the situation you were in it wouldn't have affected me no and i think it depends what vehicle you're driving as well for me i have rac arrival because it is motorhome specific cover so that's important to me. It covers cars and motorbikes as well, as we know. Uh, so I would consider, Mick, what are you driving? And if you need cover for a motorhome that's over seven metres, then I think RAC Arrival's probably the best product for you on paper. <laughs> OK, we've got Nick Bannister, who has actually recorded something for us. Hi, Matt. Thanks for your excellent episode on the future of motorhomes, which I've just listened to as regards uh, electric motorhomes. I'm thinking of buying one, uh, a Chasson 640, um, but it's just made me think really whether this is the right time to buy a diesel Euro 6 version of uh, that vehicle, or should I wait for the Euro 7 version to come out? Uh, Also, is it worth waiting for an electric uh, motorhome to be developed and come out how long will that be? Or do I just go ahead and buy the current diesel version? And how many years use am I going to get out of it? Bearing in mind the more and more restrictions and zones that are going to come in as diesel is phased out, is now the right time to invest in diesel or wait for something better to come along? Well, Nick, we've listened to your question for many hours. It was a long one. <laughs> Thanks very much, by the way. Thank um, you, Nick. Next week's podcast is going to answer all your questions, isn't it, Matt? It is, yeah. We had a visit from Ryan Bowditch, who, Nick, you would have encountered Ryan at the Campervan Campout Future of Electric Motorhomes episode uh, because Ryan was on the panel with me. Uh, and Ryan is in charge of Ford Pro, which is all leisure vehicles uh, from Ford. Uh, and Ryan came into the studio just a few days ago and we recorded a brilliant episode on the future of the electric transit and where Ford is going on this journey to zero emissions. So, Nick, I actually asked Ryan to answer your question and this is what he had to say. I mean, the, first of all, the first question is, is now a good time to, to buy diesel 
uh, motorhome. And I, I think, you know, the answer to that is yes, of course, it's it's absolutely fine to, to buy a diesel motorhome today. I mean, you know, all of the powertrains are to the latest emission standards. Of course, the question is, what, what do you want to do with your vehicle, right? How far do you want to go? Where do you want to go with it? And that would probably then drive your decision as to, you know, is an electric motorhome uh, appropriate? Is that going to work for what you want to do with it? Or, you know, are you okay to, to stay with a diesel? Of course, things change. There's lots of uh, uh, government legislation that's moving around all the time in terms of where you can and can't take your, your diesel vehicles or diesel motorhomes. But I think it's fair to say that, for, you know, for a, a significant amount of time, yes, you're going to be able to go away in, in your diesel vehicle. That's yeah. not going to be a problem. And, and this is what's prompting Dave's kind of procrastination, if I can call it that, is should I hang on for electric? I mean, that in reality... From Ford's perspective, a transit van that's electric, so the Chasson 640, that's some years away, isn't it? So e-transit is out there today, uh, and there are various converters um, working with e-transit to see how the you know the future of uh, electrified motorhomes is is going to work. Uh, and there's lots of work and lots of understanding and learning to be done there. Again, I think it will be a time before we see a mass market approach to e-motorhomes. Uh, again, leisure leisure vehicles, leisure customers are kind of at the, the, the bookend spectrum of what they want to do with their vehicles, right? They're, they're big, heavy vehicles. They want to go on long-distance journeys. Uh, and so the, the technology, the infrastructure has got a way to go mm. before you really get what you want out of a, an e-motorhome, should I say. Ryan's back with us next week. Really interesting episode coming up. Uh, If you're interested in what the future of motorhomes might be, then we get the Ford perspective on it. And it's, um, yeah, it's very interesting. Some exciting things coming. Not all electric, interestingly. We discuss alternative uh, zero emission fuels as well, because I think they're going to be part of our future. So stay tuned for that. Uh, okay then we've talked death destruction long waiting times money all sorts of things let's finish on a toilet question shall we <laughs> back to normal <laughs> uh, dave has dropped uh, one of the paper forms one of the shows into us uh, thanks for the question dave uh, do they do extendable porter potties as the pot is quite small what does he mean extendable i guess he means taller uh, height, so it, it, height. Yeah, uh, i'm guessing that's what you mean dave i would say uh, the one of the tallest ones i know is the thetford 565p uh, as it's a little bit taller than the normal 165p p for p and poo (laughs) if you want it to be (laughs) i hope that's all you do in it uh so yeah i would look at the 565p you can find one at thatleasureshop.com obviously Uh, but that's one of the tallest ones i know they are low to the ground though it's true i guess that so they can be put into a cupboard um it may be worth making yourself a little wooden box to put underneath it making it less of a crouch. Thank you very much. <laughs> Is that a technical term? That's it. That's the official yeah, term. Less yeah. of a crouch. Uh, well, there you go. Um, that's us done and dusted for this week. Uh, thanks for staying with us right to the end. How do people get in touch with us, Matt? We would love it if you did. You can go to our website, motorhomemat.co.uk forward slash ask Matt and there you can record your question please tell us where you are we love knowing where our listeners are in the world you can record your question there and your feature on the podcast or you can just enter it into the form and press submit you'll also find us on YouTube as Motorhome Matt where you'll find a lot more content and some longer extended content as well so go and check out the YouTube channel and whilst you're there make sure you hit subscribe and hit the little bell and then YouTube can tell you when we release new content 
thanks for listening to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Remember to check back here for more episodes full of hints and tips and helpful advice. We'll see you soon for another Motorhome Matt podcast brought to you with thatleisureshop.com.